yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Leia Healthcare. Looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's show, I am delighted to say I'm joined by James Smith, the world's fastest growing online personal trainer. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Uh, his book in 2019, Not a Diet Book, was a huge international bestseller. And now James is back with another hit called Not a Life Coach, in which James challenges everything you thought you knew about the paths of fulfillment and happiness. James is honest, unapologetic and outspoken, and I'm sure he's got plenty of tips to share with us over the course of the next half an hour or so. James, welcome to Real Health. How's it going? Thank you very much for having me and for accommodating from the other side of the world. No worries. You're a first guest from us to have on from Australia, so we're very excited. Uh, uh, the whole One of the benefits of lockdown and uh, is the fact we can interview people from all over the world now, which is brilliant. We're going to get straight into it. So um, one of the key philosophies in your book is that wins in life don't come from massive events or big things. Instead, it's about accumulation of small steps, that 1% rule. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, from a business perspective or a brand perspective or, or anything I've learned in life, uh, it always begins very small, whether it's, you know, posting on social media. I have a relatively large following, but I've only ever done the same thing as what everyone else can do with building an email marketing list, exactly the same rule. And everything I've had access to has been the same as what most people have. Everyone's got a smartphone. Uh, everyone's got the ability to use social media to, to build a business. But for me, it was more so focusing on turning up and posting something helpful every day that got me here. It was never, everyone always asks when, you know, your viral post, yourself with the well-established podcast. Everyone goes, oh, when was the, when was the big episode? You're like, no, I, I turned up. Some episodes did how I want, some how I didn't. But you have to remain very focused on the actual process, what you're doing. And it's over time that all of those small actions build the big result. But from other people on the outside in, it's very easy for them to assume it was one lucky post. So it's about being consistent. It's about having a key goal to focus on in the long term, but small, consistent steps to get towards that goal. And that applies whether it's business or whether it's weight loss or whether it's fitness. It's that same approach all the way through. Yeah. I mean, if we look at uh, a lot of a lot of people who do incredible things with their body composition, they will be the ones that have tracked for 200 days in a row. And that doesn't mean they've eaten well for 200 days in a row, but it means that they've been mindful of it. They've kept an eye on it. And, you know, success leaves clues. And, you know, even just have the mental aptitude to log a bad, what people call a bad meal. You know, someone sit there and go, Big Mac, yep. Large fries, yep. Chocolate milkshake, yep. And that's actually a successful habit, even though if we were to look at that on a micro scale, we could come to the conclusion that's an unhealthy meal. But really, as long as... They, you know, they, they accounted for it and they played into that habit, which is tracking calories in this instance. It can be part of a very successful bigger picture. Let's chat about PT and, and how you got into it and why you got into it. So how did you get interested in, in the first place? I, uh, through my teenage years, was overweight 
uh, I was very grateful to end up playing rugby at 14 because for once in my life, being a little bit bigger than everyone else benefited me. And I could run at people <laughs> in the same year and, and, and people would be, oh, it's okay, you play rugby. Before I was overweight as a teenager, but then, ah, oh, you're, you're okay. You're a front row player. And when I went to, you go to people around you for answers. My parents, uh, God bless them. They don't know much about nutrition. I don't think many parents do. Uh, the school ladies, canteen ladies, uh, I was like, is this fattening? Is this fattening? I couldn't get a, a clear answer. Go to the internet just as, uh, you know, kind of confusing there. So I, I developed, I didn't develop a love for fitness. I developed a chip on my shoulder. And when I got to my early 20s and started playing rugby at a high level and started discovering these things, I was like, ha, oh, okay, okay. I've, I've just wasted five, six years of my life doing the wrong things. And I actually took that chip on my shoulder into uh, a corporate world, a professional life where I thought that's the job I should be doing. And when I left the corporate world, I thought everyone was going to say to me, oh, you've, you've got passion, all of this. They said, nah, James, you don't shut the fuck up about fitness. And for that reason, <laughs> you should go work in fitness and become a PT. Okay. And then the growth that kicked in, and you know, you're saying about it, it's, it's, it's posting all the time and posting every day. What do you think people, or why do you think people associate with what you do and what you post so well? Is it the fact that you're very honest and you're very outspoken, but the content is there? So I've always, I've always been the same person. And the way I speak to people on social media is just how I spoke to my clients. And uh, it was about four years that I worked in a small area of the UK called Bracknell, which is about an hour away from London. And, you know, if they came in and they'd be, you know, chatting about a bit, I'd, I'd be like, oh, do you know what? You've tried it your way. And look how that's done. And I wouldn't be saying it in a facetious manner. I'd be like, look, you're, you're lecturing me as your trainer on what's going to work and what's not. You've tried it your way. And that would rub 30, 40% of people the wrong way. But that's how I'd talk to anyone. If that was my mum in the kitchen, James, I think this is how we get in shape. I'd be like, well, mum, I'm not taking advice from you. you know. And I was always a bit cheeky, a bit blasé about it. Um, and it kind of just stuck as, as my identity. And it was, it was a lot less exhausting in personal training people, not having to pretend to be this kind of professional uh, person. But what I did in the onset was every time I got asked a question on the gym floor, I'd make a note of it. And I turn it into a bit of content later. And everyone, even now on social media, they post their workout. And not many people care about the workout they've done today. They post how many muscle, up, muscle ups they got in a minute, but not many people care. Whereas me, I was like, oh, you don't understand the difference between dietary fats and body fats, which is a very, for me, I overthink that. But for you, it's something that doesn't make sense. Here you go, here's a post. And instead of just trying to take my top off and, and tense the people, I was answering questions from my demographic. And I think, I think that's how I got traction. Okay. And a uh, final question on social media before we get on to kind of the book. And how do you deal with negativity on social? Anyone who has big profiles, I always, I always ask them that because I'm intrigued by it. If someone puts a negative post or someone, and in, within this industry, in the industry we work in, it's full of very confident people, sometimes overconfident people. How do you deal with that? If someone kind of po- pops up the negative up, there's, there's several things. Number one is the negativity bias, where if any human being looks at 100 comments, 99 positive, but one negative, the negative comment will take hold of their mind throughout the day. If someone says any differently, they're full of shit. But for me, I need to understand that even the way that our Instagrams, you've got a, a very big following as well, we give people the opportunity to double tap, to like, or to read and to leave. But the comment section gives a very unfair depiction of feedback because if I like a great post I'm like that's excellent I double tap 
if I dislike a post, I do nothing. But some very sad people use the comment section as a place to, to post their negativity. And 10,000 as a numeric figure on hearts versus three bad comments, we can't, as human beings, put that into a percentage and go, well done, James, 99.8% of your comments were, you know, or your likes were positive. Instead, we worry on the negativity. But uh, two, two things I love is, one, the people that leave negative comments are very rarely people you'd go to for advice. So in that respect, you shouldn't go for criticisms from people you wouldn't get advice from. Uh, and I loved a tweet I saw from Christian Bell this week. This is completely new to me, where he goes, if you have a problem with me, then call me. If you don't have my number, then you don't have the right to care that much about to, to have a problem. And I, 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 I love that. I resonated with that so much. And it's one of those things where you know, you're always going to get criticisms. And if you're not, if you're not moving fast enough, you're not going to get speeding tickets. And I think it's all a perspective thing. You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. So I want to chat about some of the other sections of Not A Life Coach. I want to start with environment and why it's so important. So let's kick off there. Environment's crucial. A hundred percent. And again, kind of going back into fitness a bit, when, when we want to build muscle, it's about creating the stimulus and then creating an environment to you know, host your body good sleep good nutrition, good uh, meal frequency, good rest. And in that right environment, similar to a plant, muscles grow, plants grow. But when it comes to lifestyle, it's something I think that a lot of people overlook. They don't respect how important everything around them is. They think, oh, job, this is how much I get paid. They think, oh, relationship, this is how many times I've owned sex. That's fine. And they can kind of neglect the bigger picture of all of the encompassing parts that play a role. And I'm sure you've, you've heard this a lot where people go, oh, what's the, best, what's the best workout for muscle growth? And you're like, oh, that's so naive to all of the external factors that play such large roles in, in the overall picture. And it can almost annoy you that people are so short-sighted to just have tunnel vision on that one thing. And when it comes to creating a life or a lifestyle, it can almost annoy me that some people do overlook the whole encompassing picture that surrounds it. Okay. And then values. They're really important, especially when things go wrong. That's always the toughest part of health and the toughest part of wellness, when you have that bad day or the bad weekend or if it stretches to a bad week. And values are crucial to staying on track. Yeah, and I think that we often take values from people around us. And, and from a lifestyle perspective, one I love to kind of rebuke is how many young people these days think it's important to buy a house and to get a mortgage? And I think we completely overlook the... Uh, kind of personality traits that people hold because some people do seek security and that's great. And I'm not telling people not to buy houses, but we all know those people who are just kind of, you know, kind of wild spirits and they want to travel, they want to do things. They're never quite settled, but if they take on someone else's values and invest in a house, they can end up miserable and they sit there going, but I've done the right thing, but they've done the right thing based on someone else's values. And the same with people that have competed in the fitness scene. They've competed based on their peers' values and they're very hungry, they're very lean, they're on stage covered in fake tan and they're like, why aren't I happy? And they didn't decide for themselves what made them happy and what their values were. They slotted into someone else's and it can leave people feeling very unfulfilled. Let's chat about your values then. It's a really interesting take on it. I think you're totally right. What are your own core values then? So one of mine's uh, kind of integrity in the sense that I've never done a paid post and because for me, this, this whole social media thing to me is very strange. And 
with Facebook being about 400K, Insta 600, uh, that's kind of a byproduct to me just trying to get information out. And it feels very strange when someone offers me 20,000 pounds to promote their product. I don't feel I, I deserve that. I don't feel I've earned the right for that. I've literally only ever been a personal trainer. I've only ever written books and it doesn't sit very well with me to be paid to promote something I don't love. And for me, that's important. People think I'm crazy. Someone said to me, oh, if you do five of these, you could buy a house. I'm like, well, for a start, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but for me and it, to other people, to other influencers and other people with blue ticks, they think I'm mad, but they, they don't understand that there are some things that are important to me that evidently money can't buy. And uh, I, I take pride from that. And I like to think my clients do. I like to think that everyone that uses me as a coach sees that because I'm not saying that it's bad that people do paid posts. Some of my friends do it and make a living from it. If you know Paul Alima, who's uh, an, Irish, uh, an Irish influencer who lives in London, the way he does adverts for Amazon, for eBay, for all these companies is genius. It's hilarious. There was one for Walker's Crisps. I was going onto his profile to watch them. But for me, our values are slightly separate. And uh, that, that's just one of many. And again, with swearing, I love swearing. And it, it's, it's a part of my identity. And when people say, you could get more engagement if you swore less, I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. But I don't value engagement over... Uh, being genuine and being myself. And the worst thing is I could ever imagine if someone's seeing a video and going, I stop swearing so he can get more engagement, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of very strange values for myself. Okay. It's, it's fascinating. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's rare in this, in this, uh, in the Instagram world or the social media world to have that sense of key core values to stick to, especially with regards to paid posts and stuff like that. Um, the next thing is around kind of strong foundations and that everyone must build foundations with the right mindset. Yeah, I think, first of all, it, it's important that we have systems in place uh, for everything. And systems is a very boring word, but we need systems in place, for instance, to deal with anxiety and anxieties. And uh, not to say that I'm like a therapist with the solution to anxiety, but I like to think I understand, to a certain extent, the primitive brain and the primitive brain of how we uh, try and protect ourselves and one of the main things that our primitive brain does is it jumps to the negative scenario. So let's say I arrange a date for the weekend. And the, the, the council rates on dates, I think, are astronomical because it gets to a couple hours before you go, what if she's uglier? What if she's a catfish? What if we sit there over a few glasses of wine and we hate each other? What if all these scenarios, but they're all negative. And we must proactively as a foundation of dealing with these anxieties, ask ourselves the opposite. What if this is the best date I go on? What if she's got the best banter I've ever experienced? What if this is the last first date I go on? And even just something so simple as questioning our own irrational negative anxieties can help us in so many situations. And I still do this to this day. And having a foundation of kind of systems to deal with problems that we have, I think is very important. And uh, even from a marketing standpoint, uh, I love bringing marketing into the world where I say to people, you know, just to let you know, if 99% of people don't buy from me on my email marketing campaign today, I will do fantastic. I will do amazing. With a 99% failure rate and a 1% acceptance rate of whatever products I'm selling, book sales, I'd be a Sunday Times bestseller if 1% of my email is bought from me. And, you know, enabling people to understand that a marketer's mindset, how to deal with anxiety, all of these little systems to enable people to deal with problems because we're not taught this. We're taught the 
pi to four decimal places of mice and men at school. We're taught all this bullshit that doesn't really actually help us in life. It doesn't set a foundation for mindset or to identify where we're fixed and where we're growth. It, it, it seems like we're left without all the tools we really need for, for real life, if that makes sense. And real life, people get held back. And very much it's that, it's that fear of failure. And I think as a generation, we do fear failure and have more anxiety than before. Why do you think generation that is? Is, this, is it social media? Is it the likes of Instagram? Or is it a bigger thing? I think uh, not, not often enough we present ourselves with the real kind of philo- philosophical problem of what is the worst that can happen? And I think that, that we're going to see a very interesting one. With millennials at the moment are risk takers. But the generation coming up behind Gen Z, uh, they were brought up in a different time to us where there was a bit of a recession. Now they're going to be seeing COVID. And, you know, it's, it's going to be one of these things where risks are even going to be more rare throughout people but people do need to ask themselves what's the worst case scenario that's going to happen and whether it's not getting a promotion whether it's your business failing like people almost you know a business venture that doesn't work out if we were to look at some of the wealthiest entrepreneurs in the world they had loads of businesses that didn't work out and they were probably the integral ones that enabled them to build the businesses that that, that went well and we live in this world where another kind of side avenue of looking at that would be dating no one asks anyone out anymore Fear of failure, right? If you got to someone, and it's a COVID makes this a bit difficult, pull your mask down. <laughs> From what I could see, I think you're really beautiful. I'd love to take. I'd love to have your number. If that if that woman was to decline me, that could be a really big compliment for her. Even if she's got a boyfriend, even if she's got a husband, she go home and she could go. A young man asked my number today. Now, for me, I've stepped out of my comfort zone. For her, she's got a compliment. There's no losers in that scenario, but yeah. We're so crippled by fear. What if I look bad? What if I'm embarrassed? All of these things. And it, it, we're almost become a bit soft. I think social media plays a part because we no longer have to deal with uncomfortable situations. You don't have to knock at the house of the girl you're seeing when you're 16. You can operate and hide behind a screen, which I think you know shows people or makes people think they're softer than they are. And I think when people start martial arts, they realize that you get hit in the face and not a lot happens. And we don't get that anymore. We don't have that kind of realistic uh, everyday experience of, uh, you know, getting knocked back and realizing it's not that bad. I want to pull it back to fitness a little bit now and pick your brains in terms of, I'm always fascinated when I chat to other PTs and people in the space. So it was my job is to pick your brains for all of our listeners. Let's chat about motivation, first of all, and the simplest tools and tips for people to stay motivated and stay focused. So motivation is an interesting one where I think that one point that's slightly contradictory on my own point is that I don't feel people need to be motivated should they be doing the right thing. Now, if I was to take an average woman in the UK and get her to go to the gym three times a week and to you know uh, do certain workouts and all these kind of things, she might not like the gym. So she would need motivating to go. Alternatively, if I was a bit more empathetic and I said, do you like the gym? No, I don't. Okay. Do you like books? Yeah, I do. How about you listen to an audio book, you do 10,000 steps a day and I cap your calories at 1,700. Cool. How, would that, how do we know that's going to work? We don't. Do it for fucking two weeks and let's find out. Um, so you have that kind of approach there where if you give something they want to do, they don't need motivating. But the other kind of caveat to that is intrinsic and extrinsic motivation where some people do things because they enjoy it. 
and other people will do it to avoid something bad happening or for external recognition. And if you can get someone to do something because they enjoy it, that's the important part because it never feels like a chore. And if you find that you're doing something simply for weight loss or to step on the scales at Slimming World and to get your clap from the room because you lost the pound, you're kind of setting yourself up to fail because you're doing things for the wrong reason. And I say this from personal training and from a business perspective, if people purely work for money, and that's extrinsic motivation, they're not doing it because they want to, they're doing it because they're getting something in return. And if someone's in debt, they're doing it to avoid something bad happening. And they wonder why they feel unfulfilled. They wonder why they feel anxious. They wonder why they feel depressed. And they also feel like why they need motivating. And the truth is because they're not seeking the right type of motivation. And again, this podcast that you're doing, I can tell you now, because I was having a look through your guests and uh, the history of it, I can come to the conclusion you like it. And I can come to the conclusion that you enjoy it. Because if you were doing this for just money or just to avoid something bad happening or just recognition, you wouldn't have made it this far. And I think it's a very important feature that not a lot of people really identify when getting people to do things. Because ultimately, if you're human, you are not going to do something you don't want to do. Yeah, so the key thing is finding something you enjoy on all, in, across all platforms of your life. And thankfully, we do enjoy the podcast. Thankfully, we're here nearly three years. We're working towards it, nearly three million listens. Um, final, final question, and I'm going to pull it back to weight loss because we get people who send in questions all the time looking for weight loss tips, both on Insta, when we do Q&As there for the podcast and things like that. So anytime I have a PT on, it'd be rude not to ask top weight loss tips from that PT and pick their brains and just see what they come back with. And I'm intrigued to see what you're going to come back with. I know who you had on in the last episode as well. So uh, <laughs> I know I know if any listeners are listening beyond uh, Jason Fung. So me and him, we don't see eye to eye. We don't. And That um, wasn't teed up because of Jason Fung, by the way. No, uh, no, no. It's, the, the... So I, I found it quite funny. And to and to be honest, you know, I, I'm fascinated by other people's views on, on, on fitness industry. For me, although a calorie is not, uh, you know, a perfect science, Calorie counting isn't about thermodynamics as such. It's not about your human body being a barometer that, you know, burns pasta to see what comes off it. Calorie counting to me is what stops you taking something out the fridge when you're not hungry and it's habitual based. And for me, when I track calories, I go to the fridge and I go, I'm not hungry. Or I go to buy sushi and I have one roll. And it's these small little things, like we said right at the beginning that add up over time make the big substantial difference and it's me having a cheeseburger instead of a big mac when i go to mcdonald's for me it's the peace of mind of allowing things into my diet not restricting them so calorie counting is number one and i've lost a bit of weight recently for a jiu-jitsu competition only tracking monday to friday because weekends are weekends and i don't do enough damage in the weekends for me to need to track them and number two would be a high protein diet. And when I eat my quota for uh, my protein, I actually put it in a Tupperware container at the beginning of the day. And I say to myself, James, if you want to be gluttonous, you can do it once you've eaten your protein. And I'm stood there at 8.30 at night with a chicken breast on a fork and I'm chewing at it. <laughs> and I'm being, this is a very fitness thing to do. And by the time I finish, instead of getting an ice cream, I usually just have a nice pop. You know, those long ones you have as a kid that sit in the freezer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really sweet ones. And I have a couple of them. And uh, then fitness tip number three would be steps. And again, steps don't burn huge amounts of calories, but it's more of the identity of the person who does steps. Because 
the person that goes for a long walk and goes to the shops and goes for a two mile walk to get a can of Coke Zero and come back, the identity of that person will do a lot better than anyone else. And it's not always the steps, it's not always the calories, it's the person you become when seeking those things that makes the big improvements overall. Fantastic tips, bang on. James, it's been great catching up. I was really looking forward to today's interview uh, and it's been really, really interesting to get to chat to you. Remind us, A, where you live on social, so anyone who's listening can follow you if they don't already, and B, give us the name of the book again. James Smith PT, my parents, God bless their souls. Surname was Smith. They came in with James. I'm not sure. They didn't know social media was coming. So I had to put <laughs> PT at the end, uh, which I didn't really want. So yeah, I'm on socials all there. Uh, the new book is called Not a Life Coach, which is a nuanced title similar to Not a Diet Book, where I didn't want to really sell a diet book. I didn't want to position myself as a life coach. I just wanted to give good advice. So yeah, that's the other two books. Fantastic. Folks, it's available in all bookstores nationwide. James Smith, thank you so much for joining us on Real Health today. I've really enjoyed catching up and the very best of luck with the book. Folks, that's it for today's episode. As ever, you know where we are. It's realhealth at independent.ie, at PT on Twitter and on Instagram. Have an amazing week. Apply some of those tips and we'll see you next week. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.